so uh, Angie sang that song for us uh, this morning, and I've got a story behind that, and I'm really grateful um, that she could pull that off and such short notice, because here's the story. Um, so I think it was Monday night, um, my wife Donna comes to me, she says, Hero, can you, um, it was like 7.30 at night, she says, can you drive me down to Walgreens? And I said, okay, yeah, sure, all right, whatever. So um, she didn't tell me what, what it was all about. I just, she does this all the time. So I just said, okay, whatever. So I, we drove down to Walgreens. It's only like three or five minutes, three or four minutes away. And so we drive down there and she, and she says, I'll just be a minute. Well, of course it's Walgreens at this Christmas time. A minute really means 15 minutes. Okay, you know how that works. So I'm sitting in the parking lot. And so she finally comes out and I turned to her and I said, well, what did you need to get at Walgreens? And so this is what, well, this is what she came out with. Let me show you a picture. Can you show that first picture? Maybe uh, she had a picture of my granddaughter, Marley. And so last weekend was um, Marley's first ballet. I just want you to know my granddaughter is a ballerina genius. So I just, it was amazing. And <laughs> So she wanted to get a picture of Marley. And so, so you know, uh, what was interesting about Marley last week when she did the ball, her first ballet, there was one, like the, the, prof the, the one who's the head of all these little four-year-olds. So she's got a dozen four-year-olds, six on one side, six on the other, and they're supposed to be following her as the leader. And so... Marley decides that she's going to go rogue. And, um, and so when everybody else was doing like something like this, she was doing this. And then, um, and so there, when everybody else was doing something like this, she was literally, and so there was also a tap routine involved. So she started tapping in the middle of the ballet. And I'm pretty sure that wasn't supposed to be involved. So uh, according to her, uh, her mother, her uncle, Logan, was laughing so hard, he literally was in tears. So anyway... Um, and, and so uh, while Donna went to go get that picture of Marley, uh, I was sitting in the car for those 10, 15 minutes. And so I was listening to Christmas music and that song came on. And, uh, you know, Amy Grant made that song very popular, maybe in the 18, uh, 1980s, 90s. And so I just loved it. And so I went back this last week and I, I pulled the lyrics and I thought they're actually very powerful. And there was actually some pretty good liturgy, uh, uh, theology in it. Matter of fact, I gave you all a card today. Hopefully you have that. Maybe you can pull it out. And so I want to, and then for those who are watching online, I, I want you to know you can actually download this card. It's on our website and also where you can go to your weekly word. I think we provided that for you so you can download it and you can uh, once again, follow along with this message this week. And so it's entitled my grown up Christmas list. And so I started thinking about the idea of, you know, the kids just read this story about uh, Mary and Joseph. And then the second part of this we find in the Gospel of Matthew is the story of the Magi in the second chapter. And, and so, of course, the Magi would really kind of launch into this whole what we experience as Christmas today with all the gift giving. They brought these gifts to, to Jesus. And so I started thinking about, um, and I really love the words here because there is a difference between maybe a kid's Christmas list, obviously, and a grown-up's Christmas list. So um, I love the, 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 well, the theology in it, but also the theme, no more lies torn apart, that words would never, say, never start, and time would heal all hearts, and everyone would have a friend, and right would always win, and love would never end. Now, this is my grown-up Christmas list. So um, last night, I was, um, Donna gets my granddaughter, who's a kid. She's four years old. And um, we were talking about her list. And um, I said, I have, had asked her mother, I said, what is on Marley's list this year? And so um, she said, well, Dad, you know what she really wants? And I said, what's that? And she says, she really wants a fishing pole. And I'm thinking, yes, this is great. <laughs> 
And she said, but she doesn't want just any fishing pole. She wants a pink fishing pole. So everything with her is, has to do with being pink. And so Santa's going to come through this year with a pink fishing pole. And so when I think about this, I, I love this because when I started thinking about my grown-up Christmas list, which is very different from a four-year-old's Christmas list, is that um, I started thinking about people in my life well, who would made my list. Matter of fact, if you look on the back side of your card, here's what, here's the, you know, sometimes this is like the participation part of the summer. In fact, matter of fact, I think you can get a pen and those who are watching online, you can participate in this as well. And if you don't, if you don't want to do it right now, you can maybe think about this in the next half an hour as I give this message, or maybe you take it home and think about it. So let me ask you something. Here's three questions. Who were the people in my inner circle that I love the most that have made my Christmas list this year? Um, second question is, um, who has been a gift to me this year? My friends and closest companions. And number three, who are the, some of the people I know who are likely to get neglected or overlooked this year? Would they make my Christmas list? So let me just share with you just a, a couple of thoughts. So uh, I think about my inner circle. And um, when I think about my really intimate, closest people in my life, I, and this is the way I would describe my inner circle, and you all could describe any way you want. But so, you know, I, I just came through... Um, yeah, see, Friday was my anniversary of my second year of recovering from my accident. And so, um, to me, this is a, it was like another, another pivotal day for me. And so, um, I did something a little unusual. I ran a half marathon that morning for myself and I just did it. It was just my way of recovering. Most people don't do things like that, but that's what I do. And, but I reflected back in my life and I thought about when I was in the hospital that week and it was this week, two years ago, the people that I really loved the most came and surrounded me. They were in my inner circle. The best way I could describe that was that, you know, when, I'm, when I die, those are the people I would want around me. And that's how I would describe the people who are like the most influential, the most powerful people in my life, my inner circle. Um, and so the, the other part of that, with people who are, who are my companions and um, the people who are really close to me, and then the third one has to do with maybe people normally I wouldn't think about. So um, let me just tell you this story and about, once again, making Christmas lists. Um, I, I thought about, um, well, I have this picture. It sits in my, um, my office, and um, it's just a little picture. And it's a picture of um, my friend John um, O'Donnell and my friend Charlie Skinner. And this is a picture that was taken about, I don't know, maybe almost 30 years ago at my little church in Dunellen. And it was John O'Donnell Day. And John O'Donnell was um, kind of like a fixture in Dunellen. Um, he was mildly retarded. Matter of fact, maybe people literally made fun of him his whole life. And um, what I loved about John is that he was so committed and loved his church. He loved the United Methodist Church. Matter of fact, he's the only person that I know in history that had perfect attendance in Sunday school for over 50 years. Now think about that. Never missed, ever. And, um, and so he also, his, his role in church was significant. He rang the church bell every Sunday at 11 o'clock. And so um, Charlie, who was a very good friend of mine, um, became very, friend, very great friends of, um, of John in his life because John didn't have anybody. And his parents had died. He didn't have any siblings. And so Charlie, literally, who was a part of our church, took John under his wings because um, 
He didn't have anybody else. And so when it came time, this picture was taken about, about a month just before John died. He got the cancer. And Charlie actually made sure that he was in an assisted living facility. And so Charlie, well, you know what? Charlie was on John O'Donnell's inner circle list. He wasn't relative, he wasn't blood kin, but he made it all the way to the top of his list, literally. So when the assisted living facilities had to call someone when he was dying, Charlie was the top of the list. I was number two. So that particular night when he, I get a call in the middle of the night, and so they were trying to get in touch with Charlie, and evidently they couldn't get through to Charlie, so they called me. So um, I, I went to the I went to the assisted living. They said, well, you know what? We, Mr. Uh, Pastor Hill, we don't think he's going to make it, but you can come quickly and maybe you can be with him and have a prayer with him before he dies. And so when I walk into the, um, his room, I'll never forget it. He had just passed away just before I got there, but you know what he was clutching? He was clutching a little Gideon Bible. It was about the size of this. He died holding his Bible. And I think this it's a living lady who was taking care of him at those last seconds or last part of his life, she found the Bible, which probably Charlie had given to him. And she had blazed him and pulled him out. He was holding and clutching his Bible. About two or three days later, when Charlie went to go gather off all of John's possessions, here's the interesting thing. He said, you know, Harold, when I gathered up all of John's possessions, he says you could put everything that he owned in a cardboard box. Wow. So who's on your grown-up Christmas list? So I was thinking about, you know, the people I love the most, my inner circle, and then I think about the, my friends and companions and that are many of you all are in my room today. I love you. Very grateful for you. Um, but I'm also thinking about people that maybe would be overlooked today. And so I, I got this idea this week, and I, I've been kind of kicking around maybe for the last couple of years, but um, here are the people I think that are maybe neglected that are a part of my life, is my garbage collector guys. <laughs> I, I never had thought about them, but I just started thinking about them. Matter of fact, I, this last Friday, see, they, they come every Thursday and they come every Monday. And so literally, um, I had made up an envelope and um, I had gone for running and then I saw them. And so then I, I missed them. So on tomorrow morning, I'm going to run because I run every single morning. I see the same guys every single, there's two guys who collect my garbage, collect everybody in the neighborhood. And I, I made them a little card up and it says, Merry Christmas and thank you. And I put a little Christmas jingle in their envelopes for them. And, and the reason why I did that is because I started thinking about people that maybe that just kind of get overlooked at Christmas. Um, and so I started thinking about the two guys that collect my garbage. And let me tell you something. You don't appreciate it how much your garbage collector guys mean to you unless your garbage, like, for example, it doesn't get picked up for two or three weeks. I guarantee you, you appreciate them, right? <laughs> so let me ask you something. Who's on your growing up Christmas list? Who's in your inner circle? Or your friends and family you can count on, or friends and friends or companions that, companions that maybe you play golf with or bridge with or whatever, people in your church, in your small group, or maybe the people maybe that might get overlooked. Who's on your list? So I was thinking this week, and um, what I, I love about the story is, you know, I, I started thinking about 
you know, the Magi, and, you know, of course, we got two different versions of the story. We got Luke's version, you got Matthew's version, and in Matthew's version, you got the, the wise men, and Luke's version, you got the shepherds. But I started asking myself, why are these people in Jesus's life? And, and so I started thinking about the people there in my grown-up Christmas list that have made my list, but you have to ask, so why did, maybe why did God put these people in my life? What's the reason why God placed them in my life? There's got to be a reason for that. So I started thinking about this, and I, I heard a, a message a few years ago, and I thought this was actually really good from this pastor who talked about the Magi and their gifts. And he said, you know, the first thing the Magi did was they really did a great job of planning. Now, we all know when you have a list of people that, you you know, not only do you make a list of people that maybe you're going to buy for, but you also make a, a list that maybe of things you want to purchase or get so give them, whatever it might be. And so the first thing that they, uh, when you look at the Magi, they planned ahead in order to be able to go and do this for this child, this Christ child. And so there was some, there was some forethought that had to be planned before they could go and take off and to be on this adventure. And then they, so they, they plan to be able to take some gifts and then they personalize the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so there's, there's something, there's some symbolism now. I'm going to tell you about that in just a second. But so they, not only did they, so I call it the four P's. So they planned and then they personalized the gift. Now, listen, what I love about that is, you know, uh, think about there's something to be said that someone takes the time to really think through something to make sure that they're going to give you something that really is personal, it's intimate, it's, it's something that really they thought through to go through all the trouble to make sure that this, this meant something to you. Like, for example, um, uh, that pastor's appreciation, I mean, you all gave us many wonderful things, and I'm so grateful, but one couple in our church, man, they hit a home run with me because they gave me a Bass Pro gift card. Man, that was awesome, right? And of course, I just blew that on uh, Marley's fishing ride, not just kidding. <laughs> But what I loved about that particular gift is this because they had took the time, they planned, but they also personalized it. And then they also gave Mrs. Hendren a spa treatment at Brownwood Spa, which Donna went and actually used yesterday. She says, oh, Harold, this is really nice. So, <laughs> and so they, they planned and then they personalized and then they actually went out and the, I, I think this is really the, the gifts that they actually were giving were pricey. They were somewhat extravagant gifts, but they were gifts fit for a king. And then they, the fourth P has to do with their presentation because they, they um, took the gifts and look at Matthew's detail. They paid homage to Jesus. They got down on their knees and presented the gifts. I think, man, that's, that's actually pretty good, isn't it? Think about when we go through our own Christmas list, our grown-up Christmas list of who we're purchasing for, and we plan, we personalize. So, you, well, you know, we have to kind of weigh out what we're willing to actually pay for a gift, and then we actually present it. And so we find all that in this beautiful Christmas story. So let me just teach for a second. So the idea, uh, we got Luke and Matthew, and so there's only two of the, out of the four Gospels, we have the Christmas story. Mark doesn't have it, John doesn't have it. Two different ways of thinking about it. Luke and Matthew. So in Luke, you have, as I shared with you all the last three weeks, you got 
you know, you've got uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, you've got Mary and Joseph, you, uh, you've got the idea of Anna and uh, Simeon and the, the prophets in the temple, uh, you've got shepherds, you've got all that, you've got the angel Gabriel, you've got all that going on in Luke, but you don't have any of that in Matthew. It, it's, totally, it's a different story. And, and so what's very interesting is because, see, in Matthew, um, you got the whole thing started out. Matter of fact, it's interesting. Luke starts out, um, its story starts actually in Nazareth, and then they make their way to Bethlehem. But um, in Matthew's story, they actually start out in Bethlehem. And, and so there's a different, so what scholars believe is that actually Luke probably had knew Matthew's story first, um, but Luke makes it very clear if you go back and read the very beginning of the gospel, Luke, don't miss the detail. He says, hey, listen, there are lots of different versions out there of this whole story, not just the Christmas story, but the whole story of Jesus, but I want you to know mine's right. <laughs> I love Luke, right? And so I think, what, I think maybe what Luke is getting at is that this story, this Christmas story is so big that it's okay to have multiple versions, uh, this story is so big that maybe what Luke is doing, he's expounding on Matthew's version and he's just taking it to maybe a whole new level. So you have these two different versions of the same story and they're telling the exact same story, but they're telling it from a different perspective, a different way. And so what I, I love about this, so in Matthew, um, we have the Magi and they bring these gifts. And so what's very interesting, we have to ask yourself, why did they tell this story? Why did they tell it this way? And what does that really apply to me? And, and so what I think it's very, also very interesting, if you go back and look at both Matthew and Luke's story, and so just once again, this is a teaching thing, they both have a genealogy. Now, what's very interesting in Matthew, the genealogy starts at the very beginning. The first 17 verses, the gospel of Matthew. And what happens is typically, what, and we're all kind of guilty of this. You read the first 17 verses of Matthew and you're kind of reading through all these different names and so forth. And you're thinking, okay, and then we jump right to the Christmas story. And so, but there's, you have to understand there's got to be a reason why it's there. And, and Matthew, it comes first. Uh, in Luke's version, the genealogy comes actually behind the Christmas story. And, and so what's very interesting, if you look at the two genealogies, and there's, it's just really, there's got to be a reason why it's there, but they both Matthew and Luke put there. So Luke starts out and starts with Jesus, and he goes to the genealogy all the way to Adam. Matthew doesn't do that. Matthew actually starts out with David, King David, and Abraham. Dave, they links Abraham and David together, and then he goes all the way to Jesus. And so what's that all about? Well, once again, both Matthew and Luke want us to understand the importance of connection to the house of David, because the Messiah was going to come from the house of David from Bethlehem. And so what's very important is it has everything to do, especially with Matthew. He wants us to understand the importance that goes all the way back to Father Abraham. And what happens with Father Abraham? A covenant. Do you get that? He wants to understand that this Christ child, Jesus the Messiah, is ultimately connected all the way back to the original covenant. And actually along the way, who are the most important people? You think Abraham, you got David, you got Moses, and now you've got Jesus. And Jesus is greater than all the ones that have come before him. And the importance that for Matthew is to make sure that everybody understands that Jesus is connected to the, to ultimately to the covenant. Now, what's very interesting is that um, Matthew wants us to see not only Jesus connected to King David, but he also wants us to understand, see him as a new David, but he also wants us to understand that he sees Jesus as a new Moses. 
This is important. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that in just a second. But what's very powerful is that how does Matthew connect the dots with David? Well, in a couple of ways. Do you realize that, um, that when, when both David and Jesus, when they were betrayed, both those who betray him are both end up killing themselves by hanging themselves? There's a connection there. Matthew makes that connection. What's also very interesting is that when we find these words, when Jesus is dying on the cross, Matthew gives us this particular version, right? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Who said that originally? David. It's in the 22nd Psalm. On the lips of Jesus dying on the cross, he's quoting King David. Matthew wants us to make it very clear how he connects the dots. So Matthew wants us to see that Jesus is ultimately connected with David. He's connected with Moses. He's connected to Abraham. And it all goes back to the covenant. And then the genealogy, I think this is rather intriguing. So Matthew includes four women and they are very important in his genealogy. Here they are. First four. He mentions Tamar, he mentions Rahab, he mentions Ruth, and he mentions the wife of Uriah. Now, let me just share with that. What's very interesting about all these particular, for, for particular women, he doesn't mention Sarah. He's not so about Sarah and Rebecca and Leah and Rachel. He doesn't, re, the, those, the matriarchs, he doesn't really, he's not interested in it. He's more interested in these four. And we have to ask ourselves, why did he put these particular four women and what's very interesting is Tamar was actually, there was some scandal about her because she was a widow. And then he, she ends up actually pretending that she's like a prostitute. And she ends up sleeping with her father-in-law. And it's like something right out of a Jerry Springer show, right? <laughs> but this person ends up in Jesus's genealogy. And then you've got Rahab, who was a temple, who actually was a prostitute in Jericho, and she helps the spies, uh, the Israel spies, when they were trying to invade, and so she is a part of that. And then we have Ruth, um, who's connected uh, also in the story, and she has some dysfunction going on in her life, but she also, she also becomes the great-grandmother of David. She gets included. And then we have the wife, they don't get, he doesn't give the name, but he says the wife of Uriah. Who's the wife of Uriah? Bathsheba. She ends up in the list. So what's very interesting, if you look at the women, the genealogy, women contribute to the salvation of the history. Matthew wants to understand that. He wants to understand that all four women are involved in some kind of unexpected sexual relationship. And what the point there is, he, doesn't, he says, listen, be careful about who you judge. That's the point. The third thing, he says, all of them represent some kind of different family structures. All of them are working through some kind of dysfunction or trying to survive in some kind of predicament. And then all four of the women yet um, show some kind of deep loyalty to Israel and to Almighty God. I think that was actually pretty powerful. That's why they end up in the genealogy for Matthew, all four women. And then what I thought was really interesting, there is this line in the story it says, so Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. Well, don't miss the detail there. So, okay, so Joseph's father was a guy named Jacob. Oh, man, where have we heard the story before? So we go back to the Old Testament, right? So we have Joseph, and who's Joseph? Joseph, the coat of the many colors. okay. So guess who Joseph's dad's name? Jacob. Okay, so there is a connection here. Matthew wants to understand the importance of the connection. 
And so what's very powerful when you look at the story is that, so uh, Joseph rises up, and I just did a sermon series on this a few months ago. What's Joseph end up being in the Old Testament? He ends up rising up, and he becomes the prime minister, right? And he, where is he? He's in Egypt. Oh, one minute. Where did Mary and Joseph end up? Egypt. Okay, so what's very interesting is that Joseph, um, after he dies, or before he dies, he says, I want to make sure, the book of Exodus clarifies this, I want to make sure that my bones are actually taken back to my homeland. Guess who does that? Moses. Guess where Joseph, or, guess where Joseph is actually from? He wants to be taken back to the tribe where his ty- tribe is Ephraim. Where's Ephraim? Guess where he goes? He wants his bones, Moses to take back his bones, back to his homeland, to Ephraim. It's just north of Galilee. Guess where Mary and Joseph, when they finally flee to Egypt and they end up finding their way back home, where they make their new home? Nazareth. Where's Nazareth? In the area of Ephraim. Where is Ephraim? Just north of, of Galilee. There's a connection. Matthew wants to make sure that we all understand because the idea of Jacob connected to Joseph and then Jacob connected to his Joseph, his father. Matthew is probably bring this all together and he ties it all together in a really tight knit story. And so we find this part of the story and I, I love this part, but you also find that, you know, that the Bible says something about Joseph and Joseph being a righteous man. I love that, righteous. Uh, righteous literally means, um, it has everything to do with high morals. It has to do with um, a high standard. The little translation the Greek has to do with justification. And so, um, unworthy to disgrace Mary, the kids just read, he didn't want to humiliate her, he didn't want to throw her under the bus. Being a righteous man, a person of high standard, he wanted to make sure that she was taken care of. So he decides he's going to divorce her quietly, not to humiliate her in front of all the, the, the community. And, and so what's interesting, the word righteous, Jesus uses the word righteous. Where does he use righteous? Somewhere in the mount. Righteous. I mean, you want to talk about the epitome of righteous? Righteousness? It's Jesus. We also know there's also a detail in the Bible that Matthew gives us. When Jesus is about, and he's standing before Pilate, and um, the night before, Pilate's wife has a dream. And in the dream, in the midst of that, she is very concerned about Jesus and his future. So she goes to her husband and says these words, don't mess with this righteous man. There's a connection. So we find that Joseph is a righteous man. We find that Jesus is talking about righteousness throughout his ministry. Even Pilate's wife talks about Jesus being righteous. And we also get this detail, once again, because Joseph is about to dismiss her, being a righteous man. Then the angel comes to him and says, hey, listen, it's all good. It's all taken care of. He says, you're going to take Mary as your wife, because she's conceiving a child from the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then she says, and by the way, you're in the name of Jesus. And Jesus means save us, which is very important to the story. I mean, literally translation to save us or to be able to uh, be, uh, to save us now or to save us, please. So we have that detail. And then we find, as the children just read just a minute ago, not only about save us, to save us now or to save us, please. We find that the word there is that, and all this took place to fulfill what Lord, the Lord has said to the prophet, the virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So the idea that God is going to be with us forever and ever and ever in the culmination of Jesus Christ, that's beautiful. And then it all comes full circle that not only is Jesus with us, but he's with us forever. 
Don't miss the detail. Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of the world, is with us forever and ever and ever. How do we know that? Well, the Gospel of Matthew, the 28th, 28th chapter, at the very end of the story, it says, teach them to obey everything that I have told you. This is Jesus talking. Yet you can be sure that I will be with you always. I will continue until the end of all time. It's all there together. It all comes together. So the Magi get to chapter two, the Magi show up, they come with these extravagant gifts, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And, and what's very powerful about the story is, of course, they go to King Herod, and King Herod says that, you know, hey, um, the, the Magi don't seem like they're sharpest tools in the shed, right? I mean, they're supposed to be the wise guys, but yet they go and they actually go into the lion's den and they go to Herod and say, Herod, hey, listen, do you know where the king of the Jews are? And Herod says, wait a minute, I thought I was the king of the Jews, right? There's something going on here. Well, and then Herod says, and he's doing this all secretly. Matthew makes sure that he talks about secrets throughout his scripture. And so, Matt, and so Herod says to the wise men, hey, listen, I tell you what, you go guys, go look for him and then come back and tell me where you find him. So I too can pay homage to him. Liar, liar, pants on fire, right? <laughs> and, and so they go and they, uh, Herod doesn't have a clue where Jesus is. And so they go and they finally find the Christ child lying in a manger and so the three gifts, gold has, according to Irenaeus, who was a, one of the founding fathers of Christian faith in the second century, he says, uh, gold is something fit for a king, king of kings. Um, frankincense has everything to do with the, the burning incense and the priests which burn in the temple. Um, so Jesus is the priest of priests. And myrrh has everything to do with anointing someone's body at death, which is the detail you find in the gospel. John Nicodemus came to Jesus' tomb with a hundred pounds of myrrh to make sure that Jesus' body was going to be preserved. See the connection? Okay, so we have all this part of the story, right? I, and we'll add a couple of little quick little details. You know, I, I learned something new this week about the star. I'm thinking the star. How's the star all fit into this? Well, do you realize the star actually meant, has a, a symbolism had to do with the connection to the souls of other righteous people. Stars were connected to the souls of righteous people, but they're also connected to angels. So the star ultimately is a messenger. So the message is they follow the star. The star points to where Jesus is. And they bring their gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh fit for a king. So I close with this thought today. I had to start thinking about this in that, why those particular gifts? And, and it just dawned on me that, um, to me it's just kind of amazing because do you realize that Mary and Joseph were poor? I mean, they were really poor. And how we know how poor they were is because they went to the temple and on the 31st day when they dedicated Jesus there, they gave their sacrificial offering were two pigeons, which was the least of all the offerings. Matter of fact, back then, how, depending on how you were, uh, your wealth, you, they worked on a sliding scale. And Mary and Joseph were at the end of the spectrum. So they had the poorest of all poor offerings they offered. So, Here's just a thought. Isn't it amazing how God had not only prepared 
for this moment, but he also protected them because they ended up marrying Joseph and met fleeing to Egypt, right? To be able to make sure that Herod doesn't kill their child. And don't you think that maybe in the midst of God's planning that they knew that if you're going to be a refugee and you're on the run, you might need some cash. And God provided them exactly what they needed in order to protect and provide for the son of God. And so I was thinking about this this last week and I was reflecting upon this in my life. And so, you know, maybe it's amazing how God makes sure that we're continue to be provided for and protected. So who made your grown-up Christmas list this year? You got your inner circle. You got your friends that you love and care about. And you got the ones that maybe somehow maybe just get overlooked and neglected. Maybe this year you look for them as well. Because here's the beauty of the Christmas season is that God wants us to continue to offer his love, his gifts, and his hope to a world. So who's on your grown-up Christmas list? Lord Jesus, we're grateful for the day you've given to us and for your love and for your mercy. And uh, we're grateful, Lord, for the giving that we find in the midst of this season. And we're grateful for the story that we find in Matthew today. Help us, Lord, to continue to follow your example of giving such extravagantly. And the most extravagant gift that you could ever offer us as your children is the gift of salvation, of grace and mercy. And we claim that today in this Advent season. In Jesus Christ, we pray and all God's children said, amen.